Welcome to Talking Heads on USA Global TV, starring the one and only wonderful Dr. Jacqueline. It's a prestigious place where world-class influencers and experts meet, and where you'll find the most trusted advisors and coaches for all things in life and business. Visit usaglobaltv.com to sign up for our newsletter, get the value you need, and be first in line to learn about events and giveaways and other valuable content. Connect with us. Email Dr. Jacqueline at usaglobaltv.com to talk about how you can become part of USA Global TV. That's USA Global TV, where the doctor is always in. Hello and welcome to USA Global TV and radio. Happy Friday or happy Saturday, wherever you are in the world. We are so excited to have you here. Our show today is Authentic Achievements. And the brainchild behind this platform for Authentic Achievements is Kim Adele Randall. Let's welcome her to the program. Hey. Hi. Hi, Dr. Jacqueline. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Can't believe it's Friday already. The time's just flying, isn't it? It is. You know, I was thinking today as I was getting ready, it's Friday, but it's Fry-yay, right? Yay. And you're ahead of me by five hours, so how's it looking for later in the day? Yeah, it's it's, it's looking good. Uh, and it's it, the, you've got to live a Friday, haven't you? Because you've got all the weekend to look forward to to catch up with you know family and friends and and do all those exciting things but you also get that moment to be able to reflect back on all the stuff you're grateful for on the week that's just gone by so I think you, I've, I always I always have a massive smile on my face on a Friday and obviously I get to come and chat to you and, and, and hear amazing stories so what's not to love about Friday? <laughs> Well, I agree with you. When I'm finished on Friday afternoon at 4.45 p.m. after I've been going since, you know, 10 of 9 a.m., I just think to myself, wow, look at all the amazing people I met, the fabulous conversations that we've had and all the things that we've learned. And then I get really psyched up for the weekend because I get to catch up on my creative process and all the things that I'm creating in addition to the platform. So it really is truly a blessing. It is. And I love that, that, you know, that moment of of being able to reflect on, like you say, the amazing people we, we meet, the stories that we get to hear, the lessons that we get to learn. And, and then when you get that downtime, they flow into that creative part of you, don't they? And I know you've just um, you've just become a songwriter, haven't you? I have. The song's called What I Can't Even Speak. It's called What Was I Thinking Back Then? And I've written it with Madeline Chan, and we are performing it together. So we're both rehearsing it, and then a producer will bring it together because she's also over in the UK. So it's been a, so much fun, and it's also been kind of cathartic because looking back on my past before I started this platform and what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do I do love it because we get to those we get those moments in life don't we where we go back and we, and we reflect and we're like what was what was I thinking about them what was wrong with me what could I not see that I can see now but I, but I think that's the beauty isn't it of life you know we all have 2020 vision with hindsight we can all look at something once we know what happened and go oh, I should have seen that coming but at the time you, you can't you, you're in it aren't you and you can do only do the best with with what's available to you at the time. So so I, I love as well that you're just embracing what it is that you want out of life and going forward and finding your authentic achievement, which aligns so beautifully to the show. 
Yes, thank you for sharing that. And something I'd like to just discuss with you is when I do look back and I say to myself, what was I thinking? I realized that I was not always listening to my intuition. And sometimes there would be like a little red flag waving its head around and I'd say, no, no, putting you aside, I'm moving forward because I think this is the best way only to find out that there was a better choice, a better way. What are your thoughts about this? Oh, I, I love that. We, um, I, our intuition really should be our GPS, shouldn't it? It should be the thing that keeps us on track. And yet we don't always give it the recognition that it should have. We we kind of overthink things instead and dismiss those those feelings of, of ours. And yet they, our intuition was designed to keep us safe. It was designed to let us know when things were going off, going off track. And it's been interesting. I was uh, listening to Earl Nightingale uh, this week. And he says, you know, one, one of the things he talked about is, you know, why, why do we get ourselves in the mess that we get ourselves into? He said, because we don't think enough. And actually, the reason we don't think enough is we don't place enough value on the things that came to us for free. So things like our health, our intuition, our thinking, our brains, we tend to dismiss slightly and put all our focus in valuing things that we can buy. But if we instead put that focus on the things that are just priceless, it's amazing how better our lives can be because they steer us in the right direction. Very true. And you really hit on something that I want to explore a little bit further. And by the way, I want to let our audience know that we have a guest who is booked today, but she is not here. So the show must go on. We can carry on without, but we hope she shows up. I when I was younger and not that long ago, up until maybe five or six years ago, I wouldn't feel good about myself. So I would go and buy something really expensive, usually shoes or bags. And then I would hate myself for it the whole time. And it's funny because I have a number of the shoes and bags left. I've given some away. I've sold some. And I now look at them and say, I really say out loud, hey, I love you, but I have no use for you anymore because my life isn't like that. I mean, I'm in a gown, believe it or not, right now. I'm in a red gown, but I'm wearing socks. <laughs> so all those <laughs> shoes that I have or the bags, you know, I spend most of my time doing this. So it's just, it's interesting how we kind of know we're not doing the right thing. And then we do something else to punish ourselves, And then we beat ourselves up about it. It's sort of this pattern. It's, it's, it's so true. And, and we therefore take away the joy that we got because it's okay if we got joy from going and buying those shoes, even if it was momentary um, gratification, we got something from it that helped us move forward. And you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of how we feel. It's like the great Stella Adler said that, you know, if you feel the same way when you're wearing a ball gown versus um, wearing your sweats and your, and your trainers, then you're dead inside because actually you should feel different in those things. They they bring different emotions with us. And I think sometimes we, we forget that and we think, well, I, you know, I can't do this. I, I sometimes will you know, trot, around, trot around at home and I might have like, you know, might have my uh, jeans on and that, but I'll put some heels on because they make me feel good. They make me feel a little bit taller and a little bit more confident. Maybe it's because I'm five foot four and spend most of my life feeling like the shortest person in the room. Um, but it's, it's sometimes it's those moments. And I think it was Amy Cuddy, isn't it, who's got the amazing TED Talk about standing in the power pose. So if you stand... Um, either like pretending you're like Superman or Wonder Woman or something for a few minutes before you go and do that interview, when you go and get that job, when you come on a show like this, then actually it's scientifically proven that it changes your psychology and builds your confidence. So you come out significantly 
more confident afterwards. So if you haven't, if you're watching and you haven't seen that yet, I highly recommend it. It's fascinating. And it really works, even if you feel just a little bit silly, stood in your kitchen, <laughs> pretending to be Superwoman. <laughs> I think that's true. I'm standing like that now. And I know when I'm posing for pictures, I always stand, you know, and I do feel like I'm in my, in my power. Uh, just a quick story I wanted to share as a follow-up to the shoes. And I, I'm putting myself out there just because maybe it'll help someone else. But I was obsessed with a certain pair of shoes. And I went to New York and I went to Fifth Avenue where the Dior store was. And they only had eight pairs of these shoes. And I had known about it because the person in the store contacted me and they only had a six and a half or something like a 10. And I think at the time I was a seven and a half. So I was convinced I was going to get my foot into the six and a half because I needed to have those shoes and they were very expensive. So they did not fit but I made it work and they had sort of jewels that went around your ankle, like it, it, it crisscrossed and came up They had Swarovski crystals. So long story short, I was invited to this black tie thing as the, the host dates. And we were out dancing on the floor and there were all these high society people there. And all of a sudden my shoes break and the crystals go fly across the ballroom floor. Oh, no. And I literally, I am not kidding you. I got on my hands and knees and crawled around picking up the crystals because the shoes were so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up selling them on eBay for $500 just to give you an idea how much money they were. And I said to myself years later, you have a problem. That is the most ridiculous thing. And then I thought, well, they were really sitting shoes. I should have just been sitting in them. They weren't dancing shoes, if you know what I mean. But that's an example of doing something completely ridiculous and looking back and go, what was I thinking? I love that. I, I, I have a similar shoe obsession to yours. And I remember the first time I bought a, a relatively expensive pair, albeit you know, not really expensive. And I just got my first big um, job massive pay rise and I'd gone and looked at these shoes that often I dragged my poor friend in about seven times and she was like crying out loud can buy them you're going to get visitation rights soon you've been here that often just looking at them and I stroked them and that was 22 years ago and I still have that pair of shoes and they are still one of my favorites and they still bring me joy every time I open open the shoe box to put them on some of the reason being remembering how much my friend ridiculed me on how long it took me to make that purchase to actually commit and say you you deserve this you you can you can treat yourself to something that you want and not feel guilty about it and I love that I think that's fabulous I think in in the case you just described you were it sounds like you were having conflict as to whether or not you deserved it, whether you were good enough for it. And my conflict was the opposite. It was, I felt like I deserved it, but I couldn't afford it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, why are you buying this? You can't afford this. You're not a movie star. You're not a Hollywood, whatever. And uh, I also remember going to New York to Manolo Blahnik. That was one of my favorite mm-hmm tons of shoes from him and uh, there were several movie stars in there and 
they only had so many people in the store at the time. It was a small store and they had security there. And I was in there with the celebrities buying the same shoes that they were. But the difference was they could afford to buy those shoes. And I did, you know, I couldn't. So I have to get a second job. And I'm thinking this is like a pattern of behavior that's totally dysfunctional. So I'm glad that I'm out of it. And I'm glad yeah. that I have the, I feel like the shoes are actually a work of art. I have a display case and some of them just one of the shoes for each pair is posed under the lights in the case because they truly oh, wow. are magnificent. There are some, there are some beautiful shoes out there, aren't there? That, that are just, some of them are just too beautiful to wear, yes. <laughs> which are those ridiculous. We always have them just to look at them, but, but some of them, you just think that they are just such a creation that it's, it's nice to, to kind of look at them. I, but I, I did realise, I mean, I've moved house 36 times since I left home at 21, which clearly is a bit of a problem. And I realised that my shoe obsession was a bit of an issue when you're kind of thinking, do you know how many times I've paid to move these shoes? <laughs> I'm still dragging them around. And I've still got now like wardrobes full of shoes that I think, well, hold on, you're never going to get to wear all of those. Um, but I love that moment where you, you know, you're out and somebody comes up and says, oh, yeah, that's really they're, they're really lovely. Where did you get those? And you're like, um, Dulce's about 26 years ago. Dulce's, you know, isn't even a particularly expensive shoe shop. And who keeps their shoes for 26 years? Somebody that's really amazing. That, that, because I just want to share this. I know some people, I'm not going to mention any names. I know them very well. And they feel like paying $10 for a pair of shoes is a great deal. Well, to me, those $10 shoes are probably going to start smelling because they're not real leather and yeah. they're probably going to fall apart. Whereas if you spend, I don't care, $50, if, if they're leather and they're good quality, they will last a long time. And yeah, it sounds like that's true. what you have. It's true, isn't it? And, and you get that kind of retro piece. I mean, I've got a, a pair of, um, they're actually Converse trainers. Um, and every time I wear them, people are like, oh, I love those. They're, they're great. They're like, they're suede. And uh, they're really bulky. And they're like, when did you get them? Like 1984. <laughs> so they're like the proper retro. But because they were such well-made shoes and I don't wear them that often, they've kind of come back round three or four times. And I think that's the thing you see in life, isn't it? Is that we live life in circles and, and the things that went out of fashion come back into fashion. You know, I left the 80s hoping to never see any of the fashion from the 80s come back again. <laughs> But, you know, it's come back a few times to haunt me. Um, but I think it is those those parts that say, actually, how do we keep learning? How do we keep creating? How do we how do we find what's useful? And I you know we're talking shoes, but I think it could, you know, it, it goes with anything in life, which is things don't have to have a shelf life. We can just look at new ways to use them or or combine them with things so that we actually get more out of it and and can continue to see value. I love that about the shelf life. Let's explore that. I, I just have one more shoe story just mm. because it's so insane. So I was leaving someone and moving out and I called my parents at the time. My mom was on her way to work and my dad was leaving for work. And so they both came and the person wasn't at the house. They were at work. So the first thing we had to do was get the shoes and I kid you not, I only know this because my mother had a giant Cadillac and the Cadillac had a huge truck. I mean, huge. It just, it was deep, not the kind of trunks I see today. So I had 250 shoe boxes from Manolo Blahnik. Every pair of shoes was, was stuffed, wrapped, 
boxed. And then I had one of those Polaroid pictures. I kept an inventory of what I had. So we're running down the steps. It was a, a townhouse and it had all these flights of stairs. I was like, get the shoes first. And long story short, I think my mom or my dad was in the dining room packing up some of my glasses. And all of a sudden the, the, the glass door on the hinge, it broke. And my dad yells, he came back, he's shooting at us. And we're all, <laughs> <laughs> we're all crying. <laughs> Stay low, get the shoes out. <laughs> shoes, and it ended up the neighbor called because they thought we were stealing from the home. It was such a thing. I kid you not. When I look back, that's another one of those, what was I thinking? <laughs> but I got the shoes safely and I ended up selling them on eBay. I opened a store and I was obsessed with having 100% positive feedback. And I was running 60 auctions a week while I was doing my job and working part-time as a makeup artist and getting my doctorate. It's amazing. And I sold them and people would take pictures. I remember I, and then we'll switch the subject. I had this red patent leather pair of Valentinos and this woman in Australia bought them and she wore them for her wedding with her white dress. And she sent me a picture and I felt so good that the shelf life, it continued on in another country with someone else in their story. Oh, I love that. I love, I, I think that's the thing, isn't it? When you when you see things, uh, they as and you see a different generation, maybe that's using them, or somebody else that's using them. You think, oh, they got to be part of another story. And that's what we all mm-hmm. get to do every day: is be part of each other's stories. And you've no idea whose story you're going to be part of today or tomorrow. And I think that's that's the most exciting thing about life, isn't it? <laughs> so, like you know, you might be just a a throwaway character. You might be a whole chapter or you might be the rest of somebody's book, but you don't know that until you open your mind and just allow whatever's going to happen to happen. It's so true, Kim Adele. And I think everything we're talking about today, even making fun of ourselves a little bit, there's still achievements in there because we recognize the behavior. And, you know, you're sharing that you have shoes that are decades old and they're still bringing you joy and I kind of feel like there are parts of us that are dated maybe or they're they're changing with time but they still bring value oh I, I love that and it's, it's so true I mean me, me and my friends we're we're all heading into our last year before we turn 50 um, and that has given us real pause to reflect and go Wow, you know, when we when we were younger, forty seven like like old, and now that we're nearly fifty, we're like, oh, it's not that old, really. <laughs> Maybe it's not, but it allows you to go back and, and give thoughts to, like, you know, what are the what are the things I've learned? What are the lessons I, that I've taken? And you know, I often ask people on on uh, the show, you know, what what do you know now that you wish you'd known then? And on reflection, we couldn't have known that without having gone through life without having moved forward and I think you know in every day I'm grateful because who who knew I'd get this far who knew I'd get to be this age and still go and still be going um, and who knows how much longer I can keep going so I think it's really helped me to to reflect on being grateful for every day for every wrinkle for every line because it means I'm still here and I'm still trying and I'm still hopefully adding some value to people. You are definitely adding value on this platform and on your own platform. So please don't even 
question that. I I applaud you for forty nine. I'm fifty nine, and oh my gosh, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I thank you. I have been getting Botox in my forehead and here, and it's worn off. It's a year later. Normally I would have gone three or four times, but because I've been moving and going back and forth, I haven't done it. And I'm trying to embrace myself as I am, which is challenging because, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about this. My body has changed a lot and it's been in the last three years, but up until then I felt like, when I did a certain amount of exercise and I pushed myself a certain way, I could eat whatever I wanted, regardless of my health situation. But now that is not the case at all. I have totally changed my diet. I'm still working out hard, but my body doesn't respond the way that it used to. So being that you're 10 years younger than I am, what do you, if anything, have you seen any changes or have you felt any differently? Oh, it's so, so many changes. I mean, nothing's quite where it used to be, which I'm kind of getting used to. It's like finding a new home. Um, but I think what I've learned in, in the last few years is to be kinder to myself. I mean, I, you know, I, I look at, um, at mine, I'm terrified of needles. So, you know, I, I know lots of people that have gone and done Botox and things, but my terror of needles would mean I could never possibly consider it because it's too scary. And so I had to learn instead to just embrace the fact that everything's going to get a little bit more wrinkly. It's all going to go south. So maybe I should try and focus on what what can I do to love me the best I can to embrace the changes. And and actually, for me, one of the things that I count as a massive, massive blessing is I became a mum at 43 and I couldn't be prouder. And I've got a little girl. And I suddenly realised I had got really I had a really bad impression of myself and my body um, and my looks until until I had her, to be fair. I didn't think I was pretty enough, slim enough, attractive, and all of those things. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I was so disgusted by what I saw. And then I had this amazing little human being and thought, I don't want her to ever, ever look at herself in disgust in the same way I'd done for so many years. And I realized that if I don't want her to do that, I have to stop doing it to myself because she would say things to me like, oh, mummy, you're beautiful. And I'd immediately bat it away with no lovely. I'm not. <laughs> Mummy's not. And I was like, to her, I am. Um, and I should embrace that and thank her for that, not dismiss her opinion as not being valid. And now what I try and do is see myself through her eyes because she just sees what you bring to her. She's not comparing me to everybody else. She's not saying you can't be beautiful because they're beautiful. She just sees the beauty in everything. And I think it's been a it's been the thing I'm most grateful for. It's been my biggest blessing to now appreciate what what there is rather than compare it and say, well, I'm not like that. Well, no, I'm not. But it doesn't mean I can't be happy with who I am. Thank you so much for just being so open about that, because that is something that we feel as women. I'm not going to say every woman, I'm not going to say men don't, but typically we are so hard on ourselves. And I kind of think just from what you shared about your daughter and she's innocent and sweet and she, she sees things through her eyes and you are beautiful. 
somewhere along the line, someone tells us something about ourselves. And I think that's where it starts to change. And when you hear something over and over again, you really start to believe it. And I'll just give a quick example. <laughs> I was told, and I've shared this before, I was told that I have a horrible voice and I can't sing. And I actually was told that by men that I dated and they like to sing themselves. And when I think back on it, it's probably because they wanted to be in the limelight singing. And, and, I really believe that. And even though I love to sing, I would not sing around them. I, I work for someone who also told me not to whistle, that I was low class for whistling because I love to whistle too. So I stopped whistling, like all these things that people tell you and you start to believe them. And then you go, what was I thinking? But it takes a long time and the damage is done. And, and then you have to unpack it. And if we could just look at everything through a child's eyes and see the beauty, what are your thoughts of that? Oh, I love that, Dr. Jacqueline. And I love that you you were honest enough to share with us. And people do, they lay on their concerns and make them out. You know, you can't sing, you can't do this. I mean, personally, my voice is a little bit like fingers on a blackboard. So I, I know I'm definitely in the camp if I can't sing. But again, if I were to look at it through my little girl's eyes, the one thing that she insists on every night is that I sing her two songs. To her, my voice is beautiful. Um, to anybody else that happens to be in the house at the time I'm singing it, you know, I provide earplugs and a glass of wine it's like you don't need to deal with this on your own I'm so sorry it's take me two minutes and she'll be happy but I think it is you know we um we live our lives with believing a truth but it isn't always the truth it's something somebody's told us that we've heard over and over again possibly from more more than one person and we've therefore made it truth we've believed it to be but actually when we start to realize that there's a difference between a truth and the truth. And we start to look for where is the evidence that this is a truth, not the truth? And what can I do to move to the truth? What can I do to move to a position that is serving me instead of one that isn't serving me? Because as I say to my little girl every day, she come along, she's like, oh, mommy, I'm not very good at spelling. I was like, well, you're five, you know, give yourself a break. Um, but I don't say that to her. Instead, I'll be like, sweetheart, you're learning. Every, it's not that you're not good at it it's that you're learning and today you were better than you were yesterday and tomorrow you'll be better again and you know, mummy is getting better at all of these things even at my age <laughs> because we learn every day so don't say you can't do something don't say you're not good at it change that label in your head to I'm trying to I, I'm learning I'm learning this I'm learning that because then it's not about whether you're good or you're bad at it. It's about the fact that you're learning, you're getting better. And you know, the, the key to success is not to practice until you can get some until you can get it right. It's to practice until you can never get it wrong. And that's why you can never stop learning, because there's always something new. There's always a new opportunity. But that's probably been one of the most, you know, I said earlier at the start of the, of the chat, I ask people, you know, what do you know now that you wish you'd known then? And that's the thing I wish that I'd known then was to change. I'm not I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. To I'm learning this because it totally changes how you show up in the world and it totally changes how kind you are to yourself. It really does. Actually, I felt myself getting a, a, a big sigh of relief when I heard you say I'm learning this. I was like, whoo, that's right. I'm learning. You're learning. We're all learning. And I think to go back in time from when I was growing up, and again, I'm 10 years older, 
we saw these visual images of what was perfect and we were told what we were supposed to do. You're supposed to get married. You're supposed to have children. And I never followed that process. I got married when I was 30, but I got divorced when I was 36. But I, I think to compensate, I threw myself into my work and I typically worked in a man's world where the standards were probably a little different. The perception was different. And I always felt like I wasn't good enough because men were telling me I wasn't good enough. And I was looking at the television and seeing these role models. Oh, look at her. Look at this. I don't look like that. And so I, I love what you just shared about the authenticity that you have with your daughter. That's so real that you're debunking any of these things that I was told when I was growing up and letting her know that don't judge yourself. Don't put these these high, unachievable standards that you have to strive for all the time. I think it's so important. I wish more parents were doing what you're doing. Oh, bless you. Thank you. I think I, I guess I had to unpick so much of myself and how harshly I had behaved towards myself for, for so for so many years. And um, I don't know if I've shared on, on this platform before, but when my little girl was nine months old, I had a life-threatening illness and um I didn't think I was going to make it and I remember going up to write the letter the, you know, the letter to tell her all the stuff I'd spent 43 years waiting to be a mum um, and I was so excited to be a mum and then I thought I'm not going to be here to tell her all the stuff I wish that I'd known all of the advice I wish to give her all of that piece to say you know you, you're so much stronger than you realize that you are and I didn't know where to start the letter so I went into a room as you do and watched her cuddling a teddy, dreaming about a day. Um, and it hit me in that moment that the voice we talk to ourselves becomes the voice we teach our children to talk to themselves. And I felt like the world stopped, or maybe it was just my heart, but I vowed in that moment that I would do whatever it took to, if I survived, to ensure that I changed the voice in my head, that that was not the legacy that I left her. Um, and I realised that I can't just tell her not to think of that of herself. If I'm doing it, children don't learn by what we say. They learn by what we say and what we do and how we act. So it had to become who I was. So I've spent the last five years doing lots of counselling, coaching, learning about myself, understanding the, the statements that weren't serving me, and then learning how to change those so that I didn't keep repeating the mistakes, didn't keep turning up and having the same things go wrong in my life but more importantly that I didn't create that in my little girl that I am doing as we all do as parents doing the best I can to ensure that actually she understands that she's a miracle and she doesn't become her own worst enemy Ooh. just touched my heart with what you shared and I'd love to have you share with us after we take a quick break the fact that you became a mom at 43 yeah. as opposed to 23 and what you had experienced in your life, almost dying, the, the, what you had to go through to even have her versus, hey, you're 21, it's time to get married, you're 22, it's time to have a baby. Would you mind going into that when we come back from our break? Yeah, of course, I will happily. Okay, fantastic. So we are going to show a clip, something that I worked on for five hours. I picked up the music and put it all together. And it's all in support of Elevated Listening. And so our Elevated Listening team, a number of our members did a testimonial and slowly one by one, I'm 
I'm customizing it to each person. So now we're going to take a look at Caroline Heward, testimonial for the power of listening, and then we'll be right back. Jacqueline Kerbeck. I'm known professionally as Dr. Jacqueline. I am the founder and president of USA Global TV and Radio, and I also am known as the listening mentor. I teach people to listen at an elevated level. The power of listening is an opportunity for people to watch role plays. When we watch these role plays, many times we can see ourselves in the role play. I teach people how to set boundaries as an elevated listener. And when we're listening at an elevated level, we're listening without judging the other person. My goal, my wish, my mission is for us to respect each other, hold again that safe space for people to share their comments, their feelings, so it doesn't escalate. It's not years of being unheard. I'm asking you to open your heart, open your mind, and open your ears to support a world of inner peace and elevated listening. Thank you for your time today. Hello, I'm Caroline Heward, known as the Harley Street Stress Expert. I literally help people manage and obliterate their stress, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, behavioral. I love what I do when I do what I love. And the reason for that is I solved my own depression, anxiety and stress. I used to be a corporate high flyer, a very, very successful corporate marketing and PR girl you know, one of those PR levies. And it was good and it was successful, but I wasn't happy. And when my father passed away, that was when it changed. And so 22 years ago, I changed what I do and I'm loving what I do. I am one of life's long learners. I've always been a student of life and I train in everything that I do. I'm not one of those people that think that I've qualified and I've got everything. I'm always constantly learning. So part of my role is to help people manage their stress. So I have to listen actively, really conscientiously and hear everything they're saying, both verbally and non-verbally and emotionally and in the tonality. So I'm very acute in terms of my listening skills. And I felt that there was something that I could learn more of. And I'm always open to look and listen and find out more. And so I took Dr. Jacqueline's course for one reason. I wanted to support her because she's done a lot of supporting of me and given me an incredible platform to, to help 
what more people in this world of uh, of this challenged environment and so from my perspective that was key and then the second reason i took the course was because i felt maybe there's something more i can learn and boy did i learn something more there was all sorts of interesting nuances especially when we did the role plays of of what i didn't perhaps see previously and even now when I'm just doing everyday things like sort of being in a call or um, speaking to my mum or doing my shopping I'm so more aware now than I perhaps ever was and it made me very highly acutely and intellectually aware of other people when they're not listening as well. And it almost has made me feel a little frustrated when I don't listen and I kind of smile and laugh. And so I highly recommend this training. One, because it's lifelong training. It's not only for your business, it's for your personal life. It's for your friendships. It's for your intimacy, for your relationships. And it's also for your business. It will impact you in every aspect of your life. Dr. Jacqueline, I cannot thank you enough for what you have given in this training. Welcome back to USA Global TV and Radio. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Kerbeck, and our show today is Authentic Achievements. And joining me and getting real, we're having a real authentic conversation here. So thank you for watching or listening. Let's welcome back Kim Adele Ranzel, my co-host and friend. Hi, Hello. Hi. Uh, I have a question for you. Hmm. What is a corporate lovely? A corporate lovely? Um, I guess it's you when in corporate life, uh, you sometimes meet those really just genuinely lovely people that really understand the importance of people and the fact that the key to success, the secret source in life is people. You get really good at people, you get really good at relationships and everything else comes so much easier. And you know, I, I love what you do with elevated listening. It's about learning to listen not to interject, but to understand. You already know what you know, but you don't know what they know. So if you can, if you can free up at your space to go, tell me, tell me your story, share with me your lessons, I'm going to end up richer as a result of it. Whereas if I just share my lessons, I already know them. So I don't learn anything. So, so I think for me, it's, it's those parts and the people that, that I've seen and there are many of them that aren't corporate lifters, unfortunately, but those ones really stand out where they are making a difference. They're creating a space for the people that they interact with, where they listen to understand, they respect and they uh, they appreciate them, that they you know, they allow it to be OK to disagree um, because you disagree. You don't disrespect 
Um, and the disagreement is more around saying, tell me about that. And can we suspend judgment and swap it for curiosity instead of going, well, I've got a different view. And actually what we're going to have in this conversation now is I'm going to get louder and underline my point and then you're going to do the same and we're going to fall out to instead go well that's interesting I've not considered it like that before could you tell me more let me understand let me see if I can see how you're viewing it instead of being so wedded to my view of the world that I'm not willing to change and I I guess they're the people that have had the most impact in my corporate life they've made me aspire to be like them. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I was curious. Caroline mentioned in the video she was a corporate lovely, and I thought, oh, I don't know what that is, so now I do. And by the way, we have a comment from, I think, a new viewer. My awesome biz coach, listening is key. Yes, it is. Thank you for watching and commenting. We'd certainly appreciate that. So before the break, I teed up the idea of continuing this authentic dialogue. You became a mom at 43, and you almost died. And that's pretty significant. And we think about, and I mentioned I'm 10 years older than you growing up. It's like, oh, you're supposed to get married. You're supposed to have kids. So what do you think was the value or the key life lessons in those 20 years, maybe that you waited or, or you just, whatever this situation was before you became a mom, what can you share with us on that? Yeah. So, so I think, you know, life has an amazing way of throwing you a you know throwing you a plot twist like you know I often joke with with friends that if I were to ever write my memoirs it would be three divorces a stalker and an evil inner critic because sadly those are true um so I did get married at 21 as was the thing to do um and unfortunately it didn't work out we tried for children and, and didn't have them and then I got married again at 31 and again uh, yeah we tried really hard but we weren't blessed uh, with with children and then that marriage unfortunately also came to an end and then when I was in my early 40s I met who became my third husband and I got pregnant and I was over the moon I was over I was so overjoyed because I'd spent so many years trying and assumed that just wasn't what I was here wasn't what I was put on the earth to do and unfortunately I lost that one and I was bereft and I was so mean to myself I used to I used to walk around not feeling like I deserved any sympathy from anybody. And I remember telling myself, you know, 12 year olds can do this, Kim. 12 year olds can have babies and you couldn't. You couldn't keep that baby safe. I, I have such sympathy and empathy now for, for who I was then and how cruel I was to myself um, at that time. But then I was the, the light at the end of the tunnel is having thought I could have no children. I got pregnant and even though I lost it, the doctors were able to say, you got pregnant once, you can probably get pregnant again. Um, and so I did. And I and I had my little girl and, and she's she's definitely my North Star. Um, but life doesn't always stop from wanting to give you the next lesson. You know, I, I as I said, when Scarlett was nine months old, I had my what was my second potentially life threatening illness. And then my third marriage broke up and it rolled forward a year and I was still desperately trying to be a good mum and run a big corporate job and do all of the other things. And I ended up in intensive care with double lung pneumonia and realised life was telling me that something needed to change. I needed to do something different. But it wasn't until I then went through having to deal with a stalker, having to go through the courts when I got out of um, hospital, that I realised that actually 
I can joke through divorces and a stalker, but there's a constant in there, which is me. So what, what is it? What was I doing? How was I being? How was I showing up that allowed these things to happen? Uh, and that on top of the lessons I'd already learned from um, the earlier one when Scarlett was nine months old and, and the time in intensive care really made me realize that I have to go inward. The world isn't doing it to me. I'm doing it to myself. So I need to understand what it is I'm doing and how do I change that dialogue and change yeah you know, it's one of the things that I'm doing my TEDx talk on which is you know change the label and you change the outcome when you stop labeling things a certain way things change things will happen in a different way and I guess that's what's driven me to to do what I'm doing now which is if if sharing my embarrassing life of failures of the divorces of the illnesses of the miscarriage helps just one person to overcome whatever challenge they're facing right now, then it's worth admitting that, do you know what, just like everybody else, I'm perfectly imperfect. I make mistakes, but it's not the mistake that defines us. It's what we learn from it and how we move forward and try and leave things better than we found them. I have so much respect for you. I didn't know all of those parts of your life. And thank you for sharing that. I I think that every step that you took led you to, to where you are and that's the way it was supposed to be. And now you can look back and see what you learned and see where you went off track. And, and that is the value. And I just appreciate you for being so real and just putting yourself out there. And I'm sure that is helping someone that just helped me what you just shared. Oh, bless you. Thank you. So it's so hard, isn't it? Because you, you know, we live in this compare and despair society. So, you know, everyone else looks looks so perfect, so beautiful, so lovely airbrushed. And you look at your own messy reality and go, oh, I'm failing everything. And then I realised that I'm not failing unless I start to compare myself because I'm not them. That's not my life. So my comparison shouldn't be anybody else. My comparison should be the me I was yesterday. Can I be a better version today than I was yesterday? Can I make a different mistake but not repeat the same one? Can I go and find something new and exciting? And when life throws me another plot twist, can I look at it like that? It used to be a disaster. Now I look at it and go, it's just a plot twist. <laughs> Let's just go with it. And it's like, we'll just see where this goes. We'll see who it brings into our life. Um, and don't wrong, that doesn't mean to say we don't, I don't still get triggered. There aren't still times, you know, where things get really tough. I remember when my third marriage uh, broke up and it, actually broke up 10 days before I had surgery and a day after I'd quit my corporate job to focus on my now ex-husband's career so overnight I became a 43 year old single mum an unemployed single mum facing surgery and as I didn't know what what had happened but I realized that actually I had to keep going because I had a baby she was she was three days before her first birthday and she needed me she needed me not to be a mess um, and I'm slightly ashamed to say um, that at the time I had a, what worked for me as a coping mechanism, but um, was the worst coping mechanism in the world. I worked out that if I started crying at 8 p.m., as long as I finished crying by 2 a.m. in the morning, nobody'd know because it was in between her feeds and it was long enough that when I got up to go to the job that I started five days after he left, um, without looking like I've been slapped around the face all night with a wet fish. So, so I did it. And I did it for four months. And I didn't tell anybody that that's how I was feeling. I didn't trust that 
anybody else would be interested. I didn't want to be a burden. And yet I'm not a burden. My family love me. My friends love me. They wanted to be there for me, but I couldn't see that. Um, and I think, you know, my reason for sharing it is if you're feeling like that, if you're feeling like you're in it on your own, that no one's interested, I promise they're interested. Um, I promise they just want to help. Human nature says we want to leave things better than we found them. So take the risk, open up, share the vulnerability, because in doing so, you make it yourself stronger and you're not in it on your own. Oh, my goodness. Kim Adele, everything that you're sharing today, it's just tying my heart. I'm, I know it is to other people as well. Uh, follow up question I have for you is when you were there, what you just described, 43, unemployed, husband left, facing surgery, mother. At some point when a person is confronted with so many things at the same time, there's a there's a line. Which way am I going to go? And you took a certain approach that you were going to cry between this time and this time because you're, you're, you had so much pain and you didn't want anyone else to see it. Sometimes people go down a different path and the path is, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to step up to this. What do you think it was? Was it the, the strictly because you had your daughter? Because sometimes people are parents as well. And they're just like, you know what? She's better off. He's better off without me. I'm, I'm just going to end it. What do you think yeah. it was that kept you going forward um, so mine was definitely my little girl and and um and I get that depth of despair I get that depth of um you know in my most melodramatic moment I remember laying on the floor of the kitchen like racking sobs I couldn't breathe and I actually started to think I didn't know how to breathe I was that lost I didn't know how to breathe and clearly I knew how to breathe I'm still here I'm still breathing but in that moment that's how lost I felt um, and then she cried. Um, and I remember going, like, because she'd woken up and I went upstairs to her. And um, so I'm going to get emotional, so forgive me. But um, she saw me crying and she leant out and she went to wipe away my tears. Um, and I remember thinking, I never want her to, to feel that sad. And I realised how sad she'd be if I wasn't there. Um, so she absolutely saved me. Sorry, forgive me. Um, but she was my savior. Oh, I'm crying now too. <laughs> so well, it's not for people. It's having me sob all over you. So I, I apologize. No, but, but life I, sometimes gets us, doesn't it? Life sometimes, sometimes needs us all to be vulnerable. And what if, if I can just ask you to take us uh, just another step into your process mm -hmm. when you think back now what are some of the feelings that are coming up when you see yourself lying on the floor and her coming to you and wiping away your tears today what are you thinking when you look back on that um so i guess today i feel such empathy for both of us at the time i didn't i had no empathy or sympathy for me i i it was all my fault everything was my fault i was in the world of i'm not good enough i'm always alone um I don't deserve any of these things. And now I look back with empathy for that woman. And I know that woman was me, so, so I'm not completely schizophrenic and have moved the two apart. But but I couldn't see me for who I was. I couldn't show any sympathy. And I also am so proud that this little soul that I've been blessed with, that I've been given the privilege to look after, to hold until she's 
able to grow into whoever she's supposed to be in the world, that I was blessed with her, that compassion, that kindness, and that pure love. Um, and we have that love for other people. But I guess what she's what she's taught me, and, and in return I'm trying to teach her, is we have to also have that level of love for ourselves. We have to be able to say, do you know if I made a mistake, it doesn't matter. I say this to her all the time when she gets things wrong. It's like, it, it, look, you've made a mistake. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you um, doesn't make you an unkind human being. It might have been an unkind choice. It might have been a, a not great decision, but it doesn't make you a bad person. So recognize that you are a good person. You come from what's in your heart and your heart is full of love and full of joy and full of care and wanting to leave things better you make mistakes just admit them learn from them and be kind to yourself go forward and do something different you make a new mistake but don't make the same mistake Um, and if we can learn to be kind to ourselves on those things if we can learn to look at them as just that we are human beings we will make mistakes that's kind of how we're designed Um, and they don't define us what defines us is what we do about it when we take the mistake and we say I'm really sorry it wasn't my intention it was my impact but let me see how I can now move forward and do something different do something better um and don't run the work there were there were moments I mean I literally started this job um it was the week after it was Friday I vividly remember it Friday after my husband uh, had left just before I started uh, my uh, was going in for my surgery and I sat in this I sat in this interview which was supposed to be for delivering some coaching and they sat there and they said we're not going to go with the coaching Kim and I, I remember thinking please don't cry just don't cry <laughs> I, with everything else that's going on just don't cry um and he said but what we are going to do is ask if you'll come in and run the company for three months and I was like yeah okay <laughs> I don't, I'm gonna do it. I've never done this before but yeah yeah okay I just need I need a job I need focus I need to be able to do something he said, it's going to start next Wednesday. And I was like, that's fine. I just got one challenge. Um, the following week on the Tuesday, I'm delivering training for another company. Um, so I'm already delivering training on the Tuesday and, and the Wednesday. And, I, and then I've got another day uh, in four weeks time where I'm delivering training. But apart from that, I can do it as long as you're comfortable with that. And he was like, absolutely. Uh, let's start. So I started on that Wednesday and the following Tuesday, and I never told them this, clearly they'll know it when they hear this the following Tuesday my training was actually my surgery so I went in and had surgery on the Tuesday they let me out on the Wednesday and I was back at work on the Thursday um because I needed to be I needed focus and what I realize now is it was a way of coping it was a way of coping was to say just keep going just keep doing just keep being what everybody else needs you to be I remember I met some amazing people who've become good friends since. And they said afterwards, we assumed your marriage had broken down long before. We had no idea that you'd got a health scare and you were having surgery um, because you were so together and you were so compassionate to everybody else. And, and I think that was because at the time I was so uncompassionate to myself. I didn't deserve anything. And that got me through until it didn't get me through anymore, <laughs> until actually that was I, I needed to go back and say, you can't just keep being resilient. At some point, you're going to have to change the change the dialogue. I, my best friend, who's been you know, been my friend for forty odd years, was like, "I can't decide if you're incredibly strong or incredibly stupid." And I was like, "Probably a little bit of both." Um, but at some point, 
kindness has to come in as well. And, and it took me a lot of years to learn that. And I'm hoping in sharing um, the vulnerable, my vulnerability, it helps people to go and find a way of being kind to themselves. Oh, Kim Adele, I have to say for, for people who just would look at you, it looks like you have everything. It looks like you've been blessed and then to have a child later in life. And yet you have been literally through hell, through hell and back. Uh, yeah. And I think it's, um, it was funny. Uh, somebody, somebody watched, I've, I've got a little brief video of uh, the synopsis of, of bits of my story, but not all of it. And I remember somebody watched it and then they came back to me and they were like, Do you know, I'm a thousand times more likely to hire you now than I ever was before. Because I look at your profile and you've got a big smile on your face and you look like nothing in the world has ever gone wrong for you. Um, you know, you've had a big corporate career. You now coach uh, individuals or businesses on how to grow on how to be bigger. And yet, like we're kind of there going, well, what does she know? She's never actually gone through anything challenging. She didn't yet just scratching the surface of what you've gone through you've gone through a lot that's challenging. I was like, I have, but people have gone through a lot worse and a lot more of it. Um, but I guess we never know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, we, we don't know. And, and I've had people from the organisations that I was working in during all of these times, during the times where I was, you know, facing surgery, say, you know, we thought you were a swan before, you know, no matter what was going on, it were companies facing liquidation and you were helping them come out the other side and they said nothing ever looked like it phased you you were still the same person you were still pleased to meet everybody you were always willing to listen you were always willing to lend your ear um and we we assumed that was because you lived a perfect life and yet now we realize you didn't I was like but that's the secret nobody does nobody lives a perfect life um because we wouldn't learn and grow if we did. And yes, mine might have had a few more plot twists than I would like. Um, but I'm grateful to every one of them because it's taken me to 49 to say I'm proud of who I've become. And I wouldn't have become this if I'd not gone through those. Because I think we grow through our pain only when we go through our pain. Such a powerful share that everything that you're you're bringing us in. You're, you're, you've opened the kimono, so to speak, to let us see a little bit about what you went through, what your life was like. And I think also when our lives are messy, when we are sort of out of control, we want to hide that from other people because we feel we'll be judged. And I'd love to ask you a follow-up question, which is when you were offered that incredible opportunity, something that was not what you thought you might be offered, you said you had training instead of surgery. Was that because you thought if you told them you're having surgery, they wouldn't hire you because they'd be afraid of the outcome or what were the reasons? Yeah. So it was absolutely that I would, you know, I, um, I was worried that if I said to them, I've got surgery next week, then their concern would be, well, hold on, you're having surgery. It was relatively, you know, uh, any surgery is relatively major. You know, you're going through a general anesthetic, they bring with them, you know, all kinds of risks and challenges that they'd go, well, what if she goes through the surgery and she's ill or she can't come back after two days? Because who really would go back to work two days um, after surgery? <laughs> um, because, you know, I remember my my surgeon saying, Kim, Kim, you can't do that. And I was like, no, you're fine. I've made I've made some adjustments. <laughs> Please talk to me about these adjustments, Kim. And I was like, well, you know, you've said I can't lift anything. I can't I can't carry anything for fear that you know, they'll rip the stitches and, and um, cause untold damage. So. I'm not going to tell you, know, I've literally stripped my bag back to just a laptop, a phone and a purse. Um, 
And it was like, you think that's an adjustment? You've come out of surgery on Tuesday night in Manchester and on Thursday morning, you're going to get on a train from York to London and work for the day. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and at the time now, I like laughing back, back to the start of the, the story, uh, Dr. Jackie, when we were first having these conversations, like, you know, what was I thinking? Now you kind of look at it and go... <laughs> What were you thinking? You literally had just come out of, of major surgery. But I guess, you know, that that had been something that has been a a constant of mine. When I had my little girl, we had, you know, a, a, we had 36 hour natural labor and she um, she wasn't coming out. So they, they said, well, you're going to have to have an emergency C-section. And I was like, OK, fine. You know, there's no other way to get her out. Let, let's do that. And I remember them wheeling me into, into surgery and I climbed off. Um, the first bed and climbed onto the second they were like we think you might actually be made of steel um, and then they gave me the first uh, piece of drugs so I'd had nothing no gas no air nothing at this point they gave me my epidural and wheeled me in to, to have the, the um, c-section and I had it and I had the greatest joy in my life is I actually got to see her being born <clears throat> because although they put the screen up there was a stainless steel light above me so you could see um, and I saw her be born but then um, you know, af- after that, they they carried her off, and they I remember them saying she's losing too much blood, <laughs> and then they carried my husband off, and and then it was like being in an episode of Casualty, which sorry is probably like ER uh, for it to translate to to our audiences outside of the UK, and um, and you realised that you were in it, but they let me out of hospital two days later, and on the third day I had to go back in, and I remember walking in, swinging my little girl, she was on you know one of the car seat carriers I was holding that and because they told me I got to come back and as I walked in the midwife went uh, aren't you the emergency c-section and I was like yeah what are you doing out of bed you're not supposed to be walking yet and I was like you told me to come in and she, are you literally made of steel she said I don't understand how you're standing you're supposed to be breathing I said I'm not being funny but I've got a husband a five-year-old stepdaughter two dogs and a baby I haven't got time to breathe lovely it's <laughs> I've just got to get on and do and it's only now when I look back at my life that I realize that in those moments where everything felt overwhelming my safe space was control my safe space was just to keep going to just ignore what my instincts might have been telling me and say no keep going keep going you're fine you've got this you're fine you've got this um and then before you realize it you look back and realize how far you've come but you can't always feel that in the moment. Something I'm taking away from your incredible share there is that mentally you are made of steel. And I think there's something to be said about that. We decide what we can and cannot do, but typically we are capable of doing so much more, but we tell ourselves we're not able to do it. So I think mentally your your mind was saying to your body, hey, listen, I got this. I'm in control right now. This is what's going to happen. And you are so much about helping other people that you weren't thinking about yourself because you have these other ones, uh, these other responsibilities, people you love and care about. So I don't know when you look back on it, would you have done anything differently? Uh, to be honest, no, because I think I needed to learn all the lessons. Don't get me wrong. Were there some things that if I had them again, would I do them differently? Yes. But would I go back and change them? No, because I wouldn't have learned. I wouldn't have learned that actually I could I could never understand. the. You know when they used to say, you have to put the life mask on yourself first. And I was like, don't be so ridiculous. I would put it on the people I love because I want them to be there. 
And it's only having gone through what I've gone through that I realise if I don't put on my own life mask, then actually I'm not here to help them. I'm not here to um, move them to the next step, to allow them to do the next part. So, it, you know, you have to do that piece. Um, and I didn't get that. I, you know, maybe I'm a slow learner, <laughs> but, I, but I didn't get it. Uh, and now I do. And, and that doesn't mean to say I put myself before them, but I put myself at least alongside them now because I realise without that, I won't be here to help them. I won't be able to support Yes. And I think also just to add on to that, I think when there is chaos and there you're with more than yourself, there are other people, we tend to panic or have this anxiety overwhelm us. And if we don't take care of ourselves first and say, okay, this is a crazy situation, but I'm going to get through it then we can go and help someone else. But otherwise we start succumbing to the the chaos as well. And then no one's going to come out of it in a good way, typically. Absolutely. No, it's, it's so true. And I think, you know, it is all back to that piece that we have 2020 vision with the benefit of hindsight. When we've come through the other side, I often say, and it's actually it's a chapter in, in one of my books, life only makes sense in the rear view mirror. It's only when we can look back knowing what we know now that it, we can make sense of what happened when we were in it. Um, because when you're in it, you're dealing with the emotion. Our emotional brain responds 24 times faster than our thinking brain. And too often, we're not dealing with what's actually happening. We're dealing with what we've made it mean. So we're over here in the emotion and the emotions then drive more and more emotions and the overwhelm becomes overwhelming. Um, But if we can take that step back and almost try and um, become the observer of our own life, like to step back and look at it and go, okay, so what's actually happening? What am I making it mean? Let me bring it back and deal with what's happening. And then once that's gone, I will be able to go and deal with what I made it mean. And how do I, how do I heal that part of myself? How do I, or how do I get help to heal that part of myself so that I'm no longer harming myself in the same way? I'm no, de- no longer dealing with those emotions that aren't actually helping. And it's, um, it's one of the reasons why I went to, to qualify to become a face whisperer was to say, you know, if we could understand each other's emotions, if we could see what there is that's out there, maybe we could stay, step in and make a difference. And, you know, I, I've seen videos of people that, and for famous people that were taken, sadly, the day before they killed themselves. And we say there's no signs, but when you know what to look for, there were signs. And I think it's got to be, I, I always think the reason why I never um, did do any more than a fleeting thing about about not being here anymore was because I didn't want to I didn't want to be a burden and I thought well if I if I went then people are going to feel guilty or people are going to feel sad I didn't think I even warranted making them feel like that just to make me stop feeling bad um so I think for anybody who who unfortunately does they must feel like they have absolutely no impact and that's heartbreaking. And I think if, there's, if we can do anything to help anyone that's feeling like that, to say, reach out. You know, I'm always here. If you feel like there's nobody else, then get in touch because there's always somebody who'll listen. Um, and if you can just keep talking, you can get through it. You'll get through to the other side and you'll look back and see just how much you've grown. Kim, Adele, fantastic. Just so vulnerable. And 
what you're saying is resonating with me in so many ways. Uh, we have a clip, actually. If you're wondering, people, what's going on, because we're still on the show. Our show after this, The Power of Etiquette and Manners, uh, Philip Sykes couldn't make it today, so we were going to run um, an older show. But we'll just keep going as long as you have time. Uh, we do have a clip that I'd like to show right now because it ties in exactly with what you just shared. So let me take down this banner and then I will roll this clip. Let's take a look. If you're happy and you know it's and you really want to show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Bring me sunshine in your smile. Bring me laughter. All the while <laughs> In this world where we live There should be more happiness So much joy you can give To each brand new bright tomorrow What are you going to do today? I'm going to run around about your shoes <laughs> Make me happy Through the years Never bring me any tears. Let your arms be as warm as the sun from up above. Bring me fun. Bring me sunshine. Bring me love. Oh, wow. Just touches your heart, doesn't it? I, just, I feel for anybody who's lost somebody um, like that. And I feel for anybody who feels like that because it's heartbreaking when you're there. But if you can just trust that if you're vulnerable, someone will catch you. And maybe we can save somebody else from going through that. Yes, it's it's just so timely that you said that. And then we, we got this clip from... Helena Chardon, Ian Palm Turner. I think also something else that I just want to, for people to think about is when you do help someone, it feels really good. Yeah. So the point is people are available, interested, willing, want to help. And it's, it does something for them too. So you're actually creating this opportunity to take what you have inside share it with someone else who then also gets to feel important, valued to help you. Yeah, it's, it's true. Cause when you, you know, when you focus on somebody else and maybe that's what I, what I did, another part of my coping mechanism was to focus on other people and what they were going through and go, well, I can't deal with mine. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know how to fix it, but if I can help them with theirs, then, you know, maybe, you know, I'm a big believer in karma is that if I can help them with theirs, then maybe that means the universe will help me with mine. Um, so so I can move, keep moving forward because I'm going to leave them better than they found them. I'm going to show them that there is a path. I'm going to hold their hand while they get to the other side. And although I didn't realise it at the time, in doing so, they were holding my hand and getting me to the other side. So you know, when we help others, we help ourselves um, because we, we learn that we add value we can do something we can it, we've got a purpose and I think that's the thing we cling to isn't it if we've got if we've got a purpose if there's a point to us um even if it's only and I say it's only it can be one of the most valuable gifts even if it's only to listen to somebody and you know listening is an act of love 
to truly listen to somebody, to sit there and hold the space and let them share whatever it's in them to share is an act of love. And I'm beyond appreciative that you've all given me that act of love today to let me share my journey with all his ups and downs. But um, all of that helps me to grow. It helps me to look back at it and see what the lessons are that I need to take. So for that, I am extremely grateful. I'm extremely grateful that we connected and that we're doing the show together and that, and I'm sorry for our guest, Dr. Heather Tucker, who wasn't able to make it, but maybe this is why we were supposed to have this conversation. That's really true and, and authentic. And what you shared today, do you, how are you feeling? Do you feel any lighter? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I do. Actually, I do, I do feel lighter. I think it's, um, it's funny. I spent a lot of my, a lot of my corporate life, um, terrified that people would find out that I was an ex-hairdresser um, and go, oh, look, we put the ex-hairdresser on the board. How awkward. Um, and yet it was funny. I was interviewing one of the guys who actually uh, recruited me into a job many years ago. Poor soul interviewed me for three and a half hours. <laughs> and I remember laughing with him and saying, bless you. There must have been nothing about me that you didn't know, um, by, you know by, the, by the end of it. And he said, you, you, you've often shared that you thought people might go, what if we put the hairdresser on the board? He said, and I, I, you know, I'll tell you, that was one of our questions. He said, but I remember at the point we were going to appoint you and everybody was blown away by you and what you could do. He said, we found ourselves catching ourselves for a moment and going, are we really about to put the hairdresser on the board? Um, he said, so it was a consideration for a nanosecond. And it wasn't, you know, and then it was absolutely, yes, we are. So my biggest fear had been, what if people found out? Well, they knew. They'd seen the CV. It wasn't hidden. Um, so I'd kind of created that. And I, I think, you know, I look at kind of sharing today, you know, there's, there's a large part of saying, well, you know, we're in a world where we're supposed to look successful and we're supposed to look like nothing ever bothers us. And that, you know, we live this blessed life that, you know, we wake up in the morning and it's all sunshine and roses and that we drift through life with no problems. And heaven forbid anybody finds out that we're fallible and we're vulnerable and that, things have things have gone wrong and things continue to to go wrong sometimes because we don't want them to know that we aren't perfect but we aren't perfect and actually once you share that once you put that vulnerability out there then you do become lighter because if I tell you that I've been vulnerable you can't really use it against me what are you going to do tell everybody I'm vulnerable I've told you I'm vulnerable I've shared with you what I'm vulnerable about so it's already there it can no longer be used as a weapon against me because I've already shared it so you automatically become a bit freer of it you automatically are able to de couple yourself slightly from the emotion of it because you're learning from it you're growing from it and the more you retell it, the more you learn from it. So so um, it's been something I've never wanted to share for a lot of years because I didn't want people to realise that my life was quite so messy. You know, I would view it as a, a you know, kind of car crash of disasters. But now I look back at it and go, you're missing all the good points. You, you only looked at the things that went wrong. You didn't look at all the things that went right. And I realized that I was like, we live in a world of, of polarity. I think we've shared this before, for every up, there's a down. I looked at my life from the messy reality of what happened, from knowing the you know, three potentially life-threatening illnesses, the three divorces, a stalker, a miscarriage, 
two severe car accidents and a hurricane just for a laugh. You know, lots of that. Well, you're a bit of a Jonah, Kim. You know, you probably shouldn't be around people too much. Um, but other people looked at it from what they could see, from what was available to them. So, you know, the um, successful career, the becoming a writer, the hosting shows like this, the going on and, and being a speaker. And both sides of those are true, but they're both sides of the same thing. And once we realise that there's two sides to to everything, and in fact, I think the old adage is there's three sides to every story, your, your, your version, my version, and the truth, which is usually somewhere in between. And that's true of, of my life. You know, I viewed it purely from, from the unhappy path. Other people viewed it purely from the happy path. But the reality is the truth is the path was the bit in between where the happy and the unhappy just keep overlocking. And, and that's how we grow and move, I think. Exactly. And and when I hear you sharing your journey, I just think to myself, wow, this is one strong lady. I don't think, oh, she's, the, no, I think to myself, this is what happened and this is how you showed up and this is how you're showing up today. And other people are not able to show up like this. So I think you should give yourself a nice little pat on the back and a Thank big you. hug. Thank I really, you. I really do. And I'm glad that you feel lighter. That really means a lot. Yeah. And, and I genuinely appreciate all of you giving me the space to be able to share because it, you know, it takes a lot to share, but it takes a lot to listen. It probably takes a lot more to listen than it does to share. So um, for that, I'm truly grateful. I love that we do this show without any scripts. There's no scripts on this platform at all because I tell everyone, how can you be listening if you're following a script? You're going to miss the gems. And Kim, you just gave us a whole jewelry store full of gems today. So thank you. I just have a quick share that is sort of in alignment with what you shared, but maybe a, a different outcome. I have ulcerative colitis. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because people have heard it before, but in my corporate role that I retired from, I traveled a lot. I got paid extremely well. I stayed at the best resorts because I sold meetings and events. And long story short, I was really sick. And it got to the point where I was wearing diapers. It got to the point where I'd be sitting in a meeting. I'd be like, oh my God, I have to run from the meeting. You know, it's it's the pain is overwhelming and you're trying to sit there in your dress with your heels and smile. And meanwhile, I'm gripping onto the table, like, please, God, please let the pain go. And you know, if it's when it's not going, you need to start running. So long story short, it was in January a few years ago, maybe right before, I think maybe right before I retired. And I was in a meeting with the executives and we were talking about what I had going on in terms of accounts and business, what I was going to be bringing in. And I had worked really hard on the presentation and the whole time I felt so sick. And I just said to myself, listen, body, get it together because this is pivotal. They're all here. They're all looking at you. You cannot be running. You have to show that, you know, you, you've got this under control. So I got through the presentation, like sweat coming down my back because I knew at some point I had to make the front and I was waiting for the feedback and the most senior person was right across from me and was kind of just staring at me. I think kind of surprised that I had as much stuff going on as I did. And then the other person, another executive, he looked at me and he said in front of everyone, do you think you have the energy that it takes to keep doing this job? And I remember feeling like, 
like a knife had been stuck in my chest and maybe one stuck in my back. So that was my immediate reaction because why would you say this to me in front of all these people? Like pull me aside one-on-one, but he said it in front of all these people. So I of course said, yes, I absolutely have the blah, 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 blah. And then I had to make my run. And (laughs) I actually decided to, just excuse myself from the meeting. And I drove home and I remember that drive and I said, okay, let's take the emotion out of it. Is there any validity to what he just said? And did he actually just open a door for other opportunities to come to you? So I was still hurt, still hurt. And I thought, I don't know if it's that I don't have the energy to do this job, or maybe I just don't want to do this job anymore. Maybe that's what my body is saying to me that, yes, you've had a great run, but maybe it's time for you to do something else. And I struggle with that, Kim Adele, because the money was so good and the perks were so good and the benefits were so good and the the people in the company, so good, my clients, everything. But I didn't feel well. And instead of maybe sitting down and just having a real conversation saying, okay, listen, this is the disease I have. This is what's going on with me. You know, because I would get, why don't you just take Pepto-Bismol or um, like crazy comments that, no, I got 16 inches of bleeding ulcers. No, it's not take Pepto-Bismol, but people didn't understand. So the bottom line, the end of the story is that I felt it was a call to action. I've been thinking about retiring and doing something else, but I was afraid to give up money and the benefits. And so I did retire two months later. I think it was that same year. It was, I don't remember, it was the year before the same year. It's all confusing with the pandemic. 2020 is when I retired. And the end of the story is that I don't make the money I used to make. I don't travel. I don't have the benefits I used to have. I'm behind this green screen, but I'm overlooking an incredible view of people out there on their jet skis and on their boats. It's, it's, it's amazing, but I didn't need the money and the benefits. Yeah. Benefits are expensive when you have your own business. So I don't have the same level. So I'm doing what I can to adjust my health so that I eat right. I get enough sleep. I drink enough water, et cetera. So where I'm going with this to wrap it up is that that comment that was so painful was actually a gift. And my body had been telling me over and over again, six months of every year, I'm sick, running to the bathroom 50 times a day. I kid you not, not even making it, lying there in my own waist, to be totally honest with you, saying to myself, oh my God, I could have just slipped and hit my head on the on the, the, the shower. But the truth is that I didn't want to see it for what it was. And even though I wasn't transparent exactly with everything going on, I told him I'd ulcerative colitis, but he, I don't know that he understood that. He gave me a gift and here I am today. Oh, I love that. And thank you so, so much for sharing. And I, I can only begin to imagine what, what you must have felt like in that moment when you know, you've, you've gone to all that effort, despite everything that's going on, that you're digging deep, that you're finding the resilience to keep going, to, to kind of keep showing up, and then to have somebody that you trust to to pull the rug out from under you, to stab you, <laughs> to, to like, to almost, you know, in that moment, I I can't begin to imagine what that must have felt like. Um, and the, you know the fact that you were able now to to kind of keep going and look back and see that 
it it was a gift it was it was a blessing and I I think sometimes that's maybe that's our lesson isn't it you know the thing I've learned in life is that everything that happens is either a lesson a blessing or both so if it doesn't feel like a blessing I look really hard for the lesson because it will be there I just I just need to keep looking um because it's there to teach me something even if at the time like you say at the time it doesn't feel like a gift doesn't feel like a blessing um but I think you know when a door's closed somewhere they open a window um and we just have to keep looking for that window absolutely and I also just want to share that the person who made that comment is someone I really have a lot of respect for and I admire and I I still consider as a friend and I realize when you're in business you can be friends with someone but you're still running a business and I think that's that's another tough lesson that people have to understand you know as business owners yeah we love you we love our team we love our clients but we're still running a business and that requires putting on a different hat sometimes and just one more story I'll share about the corporate role. I used to travel to New York quite frequently and I had clients that their names are known all around the world. And I love that part of the job, especially when they had like a company store, you get to go in and buy everything for a really uh, great deal and represent, be a brand ambassador really. So I was going to New York for this one trip and it was a very important meeting. And I was traveling with one of my uh, team members, a person I really have a lot of respect for even f- to this day. And I had been very sick again with the ulcerative colitis. And I knew what it was going to take for me to go to New York. I knew it was going to be two days of not eating, just drinking little sips of water, mentally getting myself psyched up because there's that, I can't explain it. It's this incredible feeling of oh my gosh, am I going to have to go to the bathroom? Like yesterday, I went for a walk for two hours and the whole time I was like, okay, I know where the bathrooms are in case, because you never know. It just, you never know. But mentally, I I talk myself off the ledge. So to end this story, I got myself together. I was dressed to the nines. I, I had to take a train. I was meeting him on the train. And where he's talking just small talk. And the whole time I'm thinking, please, God, I don't want to use the bathroom, this train. I don't want to use the train bathroom. <laughs> train bathrooms aren't nice. But it was it was consuming. And then as we're walking, leaving the station, walking, not knowing where any restrooms were, and then getting to meet the client and then having to present and knowing that you're presenting to, you know, C-level executive, one of the biggest companies in the world, and you may have to run to the bathroom. And to end the story, got through all of it. And the, the my team member said, you know, let's go get something to eat. Now, I can't eat anything and I don't even want to be, you know, but if I'm going to eat, I want to eat in a hotel where they have a whole bank of bathrooms with high ceiling and music and they're spraying air for whatever it is. We end up going to this little, you know, little restaurant with one bathroom with like the round knob that you turn and people have to wait in line to get in. And he kept saying, why don't you order something to eat? And he's ordering like three courses. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I just want to get out of here and get on the train and get back to safety. And I I had spoken to him again. I really respect this person. If he ever watches this, I have the utmost respect, but I tried explaining, I cannot eat. If I were to eat, my digestive system starts working. Once it starts working, it hits the 16 inches of bleeding ulcers and goes, ah, I'm wrong roadblock here. So I think he still didn't get it. And the bottom line is that's happened so many times in my life. And I bring it up because don't 
judge someone else. Don't take what someone's sharing with you and minimize it because you don't understand it. And we do this all the time. Oh, you'll be okay. You know, we're trying to be encouraging, but what we're doing is we're dismissing the other person. And it comes to listening. If someone is bearing their soul and telling you, they're not asking you to be a hero. They're not asking you for a solution. They just want to get it off their chest and share with someone. What do you think, Kimita? Oh, I, I love that. And thank you so much for sharing because um, it takes a lot, doesn't it? To, to be vulnerable, to share, to share um, your vulnerability. But, but I think you're right. I think if we sometimes we just want someone to listen not to help not to have an answer not to um not to placate us not not to do any of those things just to listen i think it's one of the most powerful gifts in the world if you can just listen and suspend judgment for curiosity instead of thinking oh they want me to fix this just be curious ask more questions, understand a little bit more, be interested, be genuinely interested, because that can go so much further than anything else that, that you could do. It's, it's, you know, it's, if they'd have been more curious with you, like, okay, so what could we do that's going to make this easier, that's going to make this more comfortable for you? I, I, don't, I don't understand, I don't have it. So, Help, help me understand how can I create the right environment that you're going to feel more comfortable? Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Then that might have empowered you to be able to say, well, instead of going to this restaurant, can we go across the road to that really big hotel? Because that's going to make me feel so much more comfortable um, for, for, you know, for those reasons. Could, could be fi- or could we find a compromise that sits somewhere in between? But um, we sometimes don't, we don't really listen or we're so afraid that we don't have the answer that we actually just want to get rid of the problem. <laughs> like if I placate you, if I let you know you're going to be fine, then the problem goes away. So I don't have to worry that I don't have the answer. Um, instead of just being curious and saying, I think it was Chris Boss um, in his uh, in his book, Never Split the Difference, uh, that says if, if you start to share the problem, if you start to um, create both people being involved in it. I mean, obviously he's talking hostage negotiation, but he, he said, instead of saying, I can't do this or, or why would I do this? He'd say, oh, okay, um, I wonder how would I be able to make that happen? Can you help me? What that does is, is you're not saying yes or no, you're not passing any judgment, but what you are doing is inviting the other person, in this case, the hostage um, taker, to be part of the solution all right, okay, well, hold on, How? yeah, I wonder how you could make that happen. How can I help make that happen? Because I want that to happen. So so changing that that kind of judgment, that, that locking down to that curiosity, to that seeking to understand and work together to find a solution um, can be so powerful, can't it? And leave, hopefully, leave the person that you're talking to, the person that you're trying to help, genuinely feeling helped even if there's no end solution the fact that they've been listened to um can be so powerful can't it yes absolutely and it can really change someone's day someone's life if i were to ask you how many people who names of people that you know 
really listen to you be able to tell me say oh billy bobby susan how many people are not well i know i know they're not listening you know we know we know who is genuinely showing up for us and who actually really cares and just to add on a little bit to what you said in the scenario that i shared about this other team member i feel like because the illness, ulcerative colitis, it is not a sexy disease. It's called the bathroom disease, the dreaded bathroom disease. And I've always felt like I had a sexy side. I've always felt glamorous and sexy in, in some ways. So it was almost like, well, you could be sexy, but we're bringing you down, okay? Your sexy's coming down because we got this going on. And I, I feel like that is also something, how we perceive ourselves and then, okay, well, now you're going to get punished. I shared about the shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we get punished in some way, but I don't think that's actually true. I think it's we took a course, we decided to go down a path and it wasn't the right one, or we've had something knocking at our, our brain saying, guess what? Time to leave this corporate gig. Okay. You've been here a long time and there's something else. I know you're afraid. I know you don't want to look at it, but we get these messages. That's what I'm trying to say. The messages come to us. And when someone's sharing something with you, maybe you're part of that journey to help them get the message. So listen and be present. And, and I just want to close out what I'm saying on this piece with this, that I teach people, we cannot always listen at an elevated level. It is not possible because we have life, we have things to do. But when you Give someone that commitment. Okay, Kim Adele, I'm here for you. I'm going to listen. That means I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to be looking around, waving to people. No, I'm totally present for you. I'll give you. I've got 20 minutes for you, Kim Adele. How does that sound? And then if that doesn't work for you, then we figure something else out. But show up and be genuine when you make that commitment to listen to someone. And I'm going to give you the final words as we close out this, I think, very insightful show. I hope that people are enjoying it. And I, I love what you what you were saying that maybe it, maybe it's about the lesson, but maybe it's about, and I completely agree with that. I think maybe it is the lesson, but maybe the lesson isn't always. You know, I, I think I'm sexy, and they've given me something that's going to dial down my sexy. Maybe it's a piece of saying this doesn't define whether or not you're sexy or not. If you're, you're sexy, if you feel sexy, so actually, is it potentially just challenging your perception of what that looks like? To say you could be, you you could be on the wrong path, and when you are on the wrong path, it can be that give you that moment of pause for you to be able to say, "What do I want to do next?" And and you shared that so beautifully, Dr. Jacqueline, with that. You know, when you look back, it was a gift that actually you chose to retire, and and you're now doing the thing that you're passionate about, and leaving lives better than you found them, and sharing stories and inspiring people. And proactively listening. It's not just what you teach, it's what you do on shows like this and on all the other shows that you do. You create a space where we listen and we learn because we're listening. Um, And I think that was, that's your purpose. And I guess you had to go through those challenges to get you to be ready to step into your purpose. And, And as you so eloquently put, it's hard, isn't it? Taking that leap, giving up the safety, the security of the known and taking the leap into the unknown is uncomfortable. And, and I, I wonder if sometimes our 
existing life has to become more uncomfortable <laughs> to force us to make the leap. Yes, and, and I really appreciate what you said about the sexy. I'm looking at it in a different way now, so that was really helpful to me. And you shared that you've moved 36 times. I think I've moved 13 or 14 times. And I think when it comes to money, when it comes to things, we realize each and every time we move, I have so much stuff. What do I need with all this stuff? I don't, and then you have to find a place for this stuff. And it's so much pressure. I can see why people just say, you know what? I'm going over and living on an island. I'm making straw hats. I'm going to interview people on the beach. But as we move each time, we let go of things. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a realization, especially during this pandemic, as I mentioned, the life that I used to have always dressed up going, I would go out to dinner four or five, six nights every week. And it's, I'm not judging, but I'm saying we change and we realize when it comes to the money part of it, staying in a job that maybe isn't for you any anymore, pursuing in this career where signs are waving, you know, flags are waving, hey, because we are so attached to the money. Do we really need that much money? Oh, I don't I, know. I love that. And you're right. We, we do like to go. I remember once... Um, because you move, don't you? And well, I move a lot. And I, I, you try and unpack all the boxes. And I got a couple of boxes that I'd not unpacked. Uh, and we'd been there for 18 months, and I'd not touched them. And I took them to charity. And I remember my friend saying to me, aren't you going to look in them? And I was like, no, if it was valuable to me, really valuable, if I needed it, I'd have taken it out by now. Because all the things that were important to me, like the photos of loved ones, and, and the books that I love to read, they were already out, they were displayed, they were up. I said, so clearly, it's just things that I thought I needed, I thought I wanted, but if I really wanted them, I would have needed them by now. Um, and just that letting it go without without going in, digging in where I'd convinced myself I needed them really, because you know I'm like, <laughs> I've not used it in 17 years, but you just never know, Kim, it might come in handy tomorrow. Um, it had been the way that I'd lived before because I was just accumulating things and using that accumulation to be a form of success it's like oh well I'm successful because I've accumulated all of this stuff and and therefore all of the disasters in my life aren't really disasters because look at all this stuff stuff that I've got that I'm now shipping around the world and trying to uh trying to find houses that will home it um I think once you realize to, to let go of that you realize the things that are really important to us are the memories the people that we meet the lives that we touch the lives that touch us um, and you carry those everywhere because you carry them in your heart. I am smiling back here because I have boxes in the garage that have been there for two years and I walk by them and I say, I'm just going to give it away. I don't even know what's in there. I don't care exactly what you just said. And when I went from, I'm in New Jersey now in the United States, when I went from New Jersey to Florida, I shipped these great wardrobe boxes filled with shoe boxes and they're in Florida. When I was leaving Florida, I thought to myself, they're still in the boxes. I'm not wearing them. I am not shipping them. But there was part of me going, Oh, but you paid so much money for them. And the other part of me said, yeah, that was what, 10 years ago. They can stay in the box. Nothing's happening to them. So I hope people will take away just from this part of the show that we accumulate things And then we define ourselves by these things. And then we're held hostage by these things. And then we spend money 
for these things to find space for, I'll get a storage unit. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've had a storage unit for my things. And I never even went to the storage unit. We have to keep paying. It's insane. I know. I love that because it's true, isn't it? It's like we, we've spent all this money and then we go, we've spent all this money on it. So now I'm going to spend even more money on it because I spent money on it in the first place. But you're not using it. You're not loving it. I, I had this with, with, with my, with my parents. They, uh, downsized uh, last year, so they, you know they've lived in their last house twenty years, and, and we had to kind of we have to kind of downsize it. And explaining to to to, to my mum, and she she was like, "Oh yeah, but Kim, you know, so and so gave me that, or so and so gave me this." And I was like, "But um, I get I get all of that, but you're moving from a you know seven room house to a four room house. It's not it's not going to fit. Like, we're going to have to. You've got to be able to live in it. You've got to be able to feel comfortable with it. So one of the things that we did we did. Uh, with her, with uh, with them when they were doing it, is say, why don't we take each thing out, uh, and why don't you look at it for a while and take a photo of it in your phone, and then we'll give it to charity. Because actually, imagine you can send that into somebody else's story. So rather than it be sat at the back of a cupboard or in a box in your garage that you're never going to get to, it could be living its purpose in somebody else's story, and you'll always know, you'll always have the memory. Every time you look at the picture, you'll know that that reminds you that it came from this person who you love. But it's that that's important, not the mug, not the vase, not the thing. It's the memory. So can you detach yourself from the thing and hold on to the memory? And it I hope, and it seems to have worked because we, they are now able to move around the house that they're in uh, because we were able to... Uh, um, to free up some of the things and send them off to be part of somebody else's journey. Congratulations on that. That's not easy to do. That is not easy to get people to see that because they, I think also as we get older, we have an attachment to our things because we've given up or things have been taken away from us, whether it's the ability to drive it, whatever it might be. And then we become attached to our things. And just, um, I said one more comment, one more, one more comment, which is, uh, when I left here in New Jersey in November, we had a bunch of food and a bunch of things and uh, someone suggested just putting them in the trash. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to give them away. And it wasn't that easy to give them away, believe it or not, making phone calls, especially about frozen food. So I found a place that would take it. And it wasn't that far from here. I'm going to say maybe seven miles. And I pull up in my Mercedes and I'm pulling into the shopping center and I see these people standing outside waiting to get in to have things given to them. They were homeless, obviously. And I just started to cry. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, I am so lucky. I am so blessed. It is a gift to be able to help people. I'm looking at these people. I'm not judging. I'm just my heart's going out to them. And they're so close. So my point is someone might be right in front of you needing something. They don't have to look like they're homeless. They don't have to look any way. They may truly be in need of your time of your kindness, of your hello, of how are you doing and actually staying around for the answer. How many times do we say, how are you doing? Bye. Keep going. Okay. Oh. So open your eyes, please. And, and just listen and realize that it could be just a simple hello. Good morning. How are you? That could mean something between someone taking their own life and not. So, so true. Uh, you know, I always think, in, in whenever I see anybody you know in need there but for the grace of God go all of us and therefore what, what can we do to try and make it 
just a little bit easier for them. Even if that is just listen, just say, just see them. Because that is probably one of the things that is the hardest for people is when you don't feel seen, they don't feel heard, that that leads them to not feel valued. So if we can just take a moment, and I know Dr. Jacqueline, normally we that's one of the um one of the uh clips that we share, isn't it, in, in this show is is that amazing piece of work, just take a moment. But I think it's true in life. If we can just take a moment and give somebody time. Like you say, a simple hello, uh, how are you doing? Wait for the answer. Or a telling somebody, I mean, one of the things that we, we are really bad at is telling somebody something if we if we notice it and we compliment them. You know, I am the crazy woman on the London tube that everyone says you're not allowed to talk to anybody who will say, Oh, you look really beautiful today, or I love that dress, or you know, that colour is amazing on you. Um, and you want to see the impact something so simple has because people don't expect it. They don't, it has to be genuine. You have to mean it, <laughs> but, but they know if it's genuine, they can see if it's genuine. And you know, one, one lady who I had lunch with today, actually, we met on a train that was delayed and just took a moment to check in on each other. And that was three and a half years ago. Now we've become really good friends and we meet regularly for lunch. So you just never know where that hello is going to take you. Thank you for sharing that. That, is a great way for us to close out the show. Someone could be right next to you and fate brought you together for whatever reason, but you'll never know unless you extend yourself. And I know it's awkward sometimes because we extend ourselves and we're afraid of the rejection, but instead of making it about you, just make it about the other person and don't have an expectation. Maybe they'll say hello. Maybe they won't. You did your part. And maybe later on, they'll think, wow, I should have said hello back or I missed an opportunity. We don't know. It's not for us to judge. I love that. Such great advice as always. I really enjoyed this, Kim Adele. This is fun. I feel like we're sitting around having a chat. <laughs> I mean, who who knew? I mean, you're in New Jersey. I'm in Grantham of all places. But, but I think that's the beauty of there's been so many things that have been taken away from us as part as the as the pandemic. People and choices, our usual way of life, some of our hopes and dreams. But I think what it's given us is an ability to realise that you can build really strong relationships, really strong re- connections with people that you would never have come into contact with before. You know, we might never have bumped into each other in any other forum than, than on here. And, you know, the privilege of every week getting somebody new in. And you know, unfortunately, our guest didn't join us today. So so people have kindly let us have our chat. But, but I hope, you know, that inspires people to go imagine what what you who you might meet and what they might become to you if you just are curious are passionately curious yes and, and i'll just share this i appreciate what you just shared uh, my mom said to me just yesterday she said are any of your friends coming down we're on an island so people come here for the summer and i said mom i have one friend a person real person you know i can hug or touch i said my friends are all 
in various parts of the world. I get to see them in my work, which is true because I am working all the time, but I have created friendships that are true friendships. And I am extremely grateful for that. So if you can't get out of your house, if you're unable to get out of your house, if you don't want to leave your house, you can correspond, become friends, make relationships with people via your device. Absolutely. And I am extremely grateful to be one of those friends. Yes, thank you. I've really sincerely enjoyed this. This is the highlight of my day. So thank you so much. And I want you to be able to share with people how they can get in touch with you and about your platform. Tell us about your platform and how they can be a guest there. Of course. Thank you. So um, my platform is uh, Authentic Achievement. So you can find us at www.authenticachievements.com. You can get in touch with me direct at Kim at KimAdelRandall.com or you can find me on most social media either as Kim Adele Randall or Kim Adele 10. And I would love to hear your story. I'd love to find out what's most important to you. And if you could do magic, what would you do? I love it. Thank you so much. I hope you have a beautiful weekend. And you and I are chatting. Did we just put it down? Yes, we did. did. Okay. I'll see you on Sunday. Sunday, I'll really look forward to it. And uh, it's been an amazing, as always, Thank you, Dr. Jacqueline, for listening. I truly, truly appreciate it. And thank you to everybody else listening to me as well. And um, I look forward to next time. I do too. Thanks for spending this extra time. And thank you for listening to me. Pleasure. Bye, Kim Adele. Bye. And thank you to those of you who stayed with us during the uh, double show, I have to say. We have a number of shows coming up. But before I get into that, I just want to ask you to extend yourself to someone every day. Just a simple kindness, a hello, maybe opening a door for someone, asking someone how they're doing, and really listening for the answer. And taking to heart that people typically are not interested in a solution. So don't feel that pressure that, oh, if I listen to what they're saying, I have to have an answer. I have to. No, you don't have to have an answer. If someone wants an answer, even your loved ones, maybe they're coming home from work or maybe they had an experience and they want to share with you. That doesn't mean they're asking you to solve it for them. They just want you to listen. If they want a solution, they'll let you know, hey, can you help me figure this out? Or I'd really like your advice. Or can you weigh in on this? But otherwise, it's it feels so good. I listen to people all week long. This is what I do. And I feel it is my calling and it is my gift. And I learned so much from it when people extend that courtesy to me, because I'm a human being. I have things that come up for me, of course. And I'm just grateful that Kim Adele was there for me today and that you are there for me now. So thank you very much. Our next show is coming up. It's Talking Heads. And Christine Amy Artner will be uh, sharing the stage. She has her own show, and I'm excited what she's going to be teaching us today about improv. So wherever you are, please stay and, and continue watching. After that, we have The United Kitchens, followed by The Listening Mentor, Loving Longevity, and Pet Psychic Amina. If you would like to know where you can find our shows, that they're all in nicely grouped playlists, it's over on our YouTube channel, which is USA Global TV. And you can subscribe to our channel. We'd really appreciate it. I love to find out the demographics of who's watching and where they're watching from. And it's interesting, over on YouTube, it's always in the 90 percentile 
of men are listening. So ladies, where are you? We need your support. Please go over to YouTube and subscribe to USA Global TV. It's men 45 to 54 in the United States and the UK. And I'm just wondering, where are all the ladies? We'd love to have you join us. All right. Thank you again. I'm going to go over and meet Christine Amy Artner and produce the show for her. And then I'll be back for the rest of the shows the rest of the day. Bye for now. Thank you.